Hi, this is Matt. Um, just got a quick pre-intro warning that some of the sound quality in this episode is, is not quite what you'd expect from us and certainly not quite what we would consider to be fantastic. Um, I think that's down to a number of reasons. One is we were trialling a new bit of software that we hadn't used before. And another reason is certainly poor mic control on my part for some reason. Um, but we would ask you to bear with us. We think this episode is pretty good, actually, pretty interesting. Cover quite a wide range of uh, topics around a subject, and we think it's worth persevering with. So thanks for your patience, and promise that for next episode, we'll be back to our normal software, and we'll be paying more attention to our mic control. Cheers. Welcome to SpicFic NZ Podcast, where we bring you the authors that aren't afraid to ask what if. I'm Matt Danaher, and I mostly write unpublished short stories. I'm Kura Carpenter. I'm a Dunedin fantasy author. My debut novel, The Kingfisher's Debt, has come, just come out recently. And I'm Nick Whitaker, and I have nine novels that are indie published at the moment. <laughs> Panthers, plotting is important. The only difference between a panther and a planner is that panthers does all the plotting in their heads. So knowing plot structure is important even if you don't plan out anything first. So Kira, you've got some interesting views on structure and plot and want to uh, explain it a little bit more for us? Sure thing. Now, I think a lot of people confuse plot for structure. And so I feel that plot and structure are two separate things. So plot are the events, structure order those events. So for an example, in a romance, a crucial plot event is when our, um, our future couple first meet. So plot is the meeting, structure is when they meet. So think how it would affect the romance if the couple didn't meet until the last chapter. So that wouldn't make sense logically in your, your current, yeah. in your common romance. They, they have to meet at the start. And so that affects the structure. But it's not the same thing as the plot. Yeah, it's how it's different. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's how it's ordered. And I think if, um, I mean, most stories are told in a chronological structure. And I think that yep. if you've got a mess with structure, um, so structure like plot points, it needs to serve a purpose and it needs to enhance the reader's experience of the story. Yeah. Okay, so one of the go-to books people go to for looking at plotting and structure is Stephen King's book on writing, uh, which talks a little bit about the hero's journey. So um, that's where we're going to start. So I'm going to throw out the question out there. So what does everybody think about the hero's journey? Is it really the monomyth or is it something else? Just before, um, <laughs> just before, just before we um, start dropping bombshells like that, um, I, uh, I just wanted to come back to the point about um, plot and structure and, and the difference, because I think it's actually a discussion that um, you picked up on Facebook, Nick, um, around Catch-22 is the perfect illustration. Yes. 
of that. Yeah. So obviously, for those that have read the novel Catch Twenty Two, um, there's a plot, there's a story, and it's yep, a not chronological story, though. And the structure of the book does not follow exactly does not follow the the plot yep. chronologically at all. Um, and that's for a specific reason. And you know, spoilers. Um, it, it makes it really interesting dealing with how um, kind of it's a really interesting way of looking at how characters are dealing with what's happening to them uh, and from, from the point of view of a reader. And what you were saying, Nick, was in the the current TV uh, adaptation with uh, George Clooney, is um, they actually seem to be doing it in chronological order. Yeah. So it's a doesn't make any sense. The plot is in, like, the, the way that they've structured it is at the beginning of the book, you think the army is sane with all their logical ways and bureaucracy and that um, um, Yo-Yo is crazy because he's doing stupid stuff. Ah. Like, yeah. But, and by the end of it, you realize that the army's crazy and that Yo-Yo is sane. But yeah. what they've done with the TV series is the beginning, the army's crazy. And you're, you're saying, and I'm thinking, where they're going with this? What's the point? I feel like I'm at the end of the story instead of the beginning of the story, and so where you put things in the structure of your yeah. story can actually change where your plot yeah. goes. Yeah. So all yeah. of a sudden, and it affects the way the 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 reader or the viewer interprets the story. Yes, very much so. So one event, if you stick it at the beginning of the story, yes. with no uh, like kind of uh, things around it, can make you kind of disorientated and make you think that it's crazy. But if you stick it at the end of the story, oh. where it's got a lot more things happening around it, and you go, ah, oh, that's what it's for. Yeah. And that's when we're talking yeah. about um, things like foreshadowing and um, what's that one about the the theory about the shotgun across uh, above the door. Yeah, the loaded yeah. gun. Gun so, and the mantelpiece, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. you put yeah. those, also, are very important. Yeah, and it's like just what I was saying with the romance. It doesn't make structural sense for the couple to meet at the end of the story. Yeah. yeah. So some people like a little bit of help when it comes to plotting out stuff. So that brings us back to the hero's journey. So some people like this hero's journey thing, this monomyth. Mm. So this one guy, he actually went out and said that there are all stories or all legends in the past have basically this one structure and that we can technically stick all stories into the structure of um, going from um, crossing the threshold, going defeating people, blah, 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 and all that stuff and then coming back a little bit like uh, Wizard of Oz with Dorothy and things like that. That's a monomyth. So yeah. what do you guys think of the, the hero's journey? Is it a good thing to use when you're plotting out your story, when you're looking at your structure, or is it something that's holding people back? Cara, you go first. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a very strong opinion on the hero's journey, and that's because yes, I, I hate it with a passion. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. And I think the hero's journey in particular is responsible for the generalization that people have that fantasy is poor quality. And it's Ooh. partly because we do have um, some quite well-known fantasies that follow the hero's journey so rigidly, and everyone's thought, okay, this is how it's done, so basically I'm going to copy a copy. And that's where the poor qualities come into it. And the people who tend to use the hero's journey, they see it as a rigid formula, rather yep. than a guide, 
and that's where you get um, mediocrity and boring, predictable writing. So I definitely wouldn't recommend The Hero's Journey uh, to anybody um, unless I didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I reckon that The Hero's Journey is fine for an iconic hero. So that's a hero that doesn't sure. change or develop over time. And so you throw yeah. the, the, the hero in, they go off and do a journey, like Conan the Barbarian, perfect example yeah. of a, a, yes. a hero's journey. And by the end of it, he comes back and he's completely the same and he goes back to his life. So if you are working on an iconic hero, go ahead. The hero's journey yeah. will work for you. But yeah. I think it's very flawed because... When I watched uh, Dorothy and the uh, Wizard of Oz, I got mad. Why the heck did she go back to Kansas? It's like, <laughs> I want her to stay in yeah, Oz. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And there's also But the answer there genres. is because she's a child, right? She's a child. Yeah. That's why she goes back. And I think the hero's journey actually works better for kids' stories than for adult yes. stories. Like and it also works better, better for, um, it works better for movies, like with the Conan example. Yeah. Because then they can restart and uh, keep the franchise yeah. going because it can take the yeah. person somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I, are... don't, I, don't, I don't want to defend the, the hero's journey particularly because I, I certainly Go lean more it. towards uh, Kara's view, um, <clears throat> Kara's yeah. view of it than, than other people's. But um, I think one of the just to come back on the idea that the the character never develops. Um, I think one of the things that popularised the whole theory um, in the modern day was obviously Star Wars. Yeah. And again, this goes into films and how it does work in films. And actually, you know, Luke Skywalker, he does set out on a hero's journey and actually does, he is changed yeah. by yeah. it as well. And he does yeah. evolve um, as a direct uh, response to the, to the obstacles in his life. But I do, yeah. I do feel that it's a combination of iconic character or characters in, in that case. Um, the fact that, yeah. yes, it does, I think it is more suited to films than it is books. And also... Yeah. Um, because there doesn't seem to be much room, and I think that's where it comes down to bad writing in fantasy as well. There doesn't seem to be much room in the hero's journey for kind of mm. an internal monologue or for getting yes. to know yep. Yep. other Completely. characters than, than the protagonist. And, and the interesting thing for me is um, Joseph Campbell, who kind of popularised it, yep. um, now when he was asked about how come there's no women in the hero's journey, and he said, well, women can't have a hero. <laughs> women can't have a hero's journey because actually they're the motivating factor for the hero. Ah, um, so they're just a, a plot device rather than actually a, a character. Exactly, which is where we all we can then yeah. start looking into if they're a motivating yeah. device, and that leads us into a whole kind of discussion yeah. around tropes and yeah. things like yes. that that we should yes. probably have at another so, time. Um, yeah. Just out of yeah, interest, so, Matt, do you, Matt, do you happen to know, so when did Joseph Campbell say all of this stuff? Because I'm assuming this was kind of like in the 50s or something. You know, other yeah. social factors too. How old this is? Yes, it is around that stage. Uh, I'm not entirely sure exactly, but yeah, um, he wrote a thesis on it and all that stuff. And I do think it's ironic that most romance plots don't actually follow the hero's journey at all because they never go mm. back. Because that's, that's the thing with um, yeah. Star Wars is when he goes back, everything's changed and he can't go back. And yeah. so they literally take the end of uh, the hero's journey and throw it out the window, which I think is one way that you can redeem a uh, hero's journey is by changing the way that it ends. Mm. Okay, 
So I actually like it when you have beats or acts or things like that, where you have certain structure points that you need to hit along the way to make sure that you got a good story. So um, like basically your beginning of your story, your middle of your story, and your end of the story, and what things t should we have in each of those. So what do you things, uh, what sort of things do you guys have at the beginning of your stories that have to be at the beginning of your story for you to have a good story? Carry on you two, because I'm actually just trying to see when Joseph Campbell wrote Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so for me, um, the beginning of the story. Well, well, for me, all stories are about character, interesting yeah. characters, and I firmly mm -hmm. believe that um, character is plot. What type yeah. of character you have, what their situation is, is going to determine the plot. Yeah, and um, how they're going to react so, to things as well. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Their, their yeah. personality. Um, yeah. Their personality. Their biases. Their culture. All of these things affect their view of the world, and again, you know that that affects the plot. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really important to me that um, uh, the main character not be boring. Uh, and something that I personally like with stories, and I guess because I'm very um, mystery orientated, is I like a character who's got secrets, um, and they need to take action to protect those secrets. For me, I find that's uh, an interesting yeah. way to begin. So do you have to like your characters at the beginning or is there something maybe sympathetic about them at the beginning that you maybe then can make them do horrible things and you can still like them because at the start you made you like them? Yeah, that, that's a good question. For me, I like um, anti-heroes and I like characters that are more unsympathetic um, and I do have uh, quite a problem with that. I know certainly for some of my readers, some of my earlier stories, my characters were really horrible to begin with. And the idea is that, you know, they would change and they would redeem themselves. Uh, but one story in particular I still haven't managed to figure out is because my character is such an a-hole at the start. <laughs> I've had people say, why, do I, why would I carry on reading? I don't mm. like this character at all. But for me, kind of like, that is, that's the point. You want to see how they change. Um, but to actually have written a character that offended people so much they weren't willing to carry on with the story yeah. um, did, not, yeah. did not actually work. Yeah, I agree. The characters are definitely that. And I always like to put my characters in like a kind of boring life. Like I want to show that how the action that's going to come in the future has, mm. is so different to that life that they had before. So they're obviously going to carry on with this action-filled, amazing life instead of going back to that very safe and very boring life. Um, also, I really yeah. don't like MacGuffins. So my no. inciting incident can't be a MacGuffin. They yeah. can't be oh, to search for the magic ring or something like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Again, that's probably yeah. something from the, the hero's journey, isn't it? It's the magic sword, right? Yes, the magic sword. Prophecy. The, the, yeah. the uh, six yeah. diamonds that are going to be put into some magical thing that's going to save the world or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And again, a big fan you know, of that's something that, that works well in movies. It's a good visual effect. Yeah. It's not so interesting in, in a story. Yeah. But sometimes it doesn't even work in uh, movies. Uh, people were saying that's no. one of the reasons why the Justice League didn't work because of the MacGuffin type th uh, thing in there. So, Matt, what about you? So, um, for me, um, really it is about just the idea, and I think this is um, where being a short story writer is kind of mm. um, um, it's a point of difference, really, between short story yeah. writers and, and others, is, um, you know, 
for me, a short story is about exploring an idea, and it can be a small idea, like, uh, for instance, um, what if guys were trying real? to save the life of their part, you know, or that's not a small okay. idea, yeah. a very personal idea where it's, you know, somebody trying to go to any length to save the life of their partner. Um, or it could be like a, a what would be classed as a much broader idea or bigger idea, what would it be like if, um, you know, all the water in the sea was replaced by jelly, um, yeah. Something like that. Not that I've ever yet yeah. written, written a story like yeah. that, but um, just an example. Um, so, so that's the first thing. And also, I think um, for me, just to come back to the character as well, it's kind of the character for me comes out of it. Um, it's kind of a bit like a in, through the writing process. It's a bit like a snowball. So um, I'll start with a small kernel of a character, and then as I write them moving through the action and things happening to them, I start to learn more about them and kind of yep. personality traits and um, the way they react to things and so on kind of accrues around that kind of initial kernel of a, of a person. So maybe by the end of the story, even if it's not actually in the story itself, I'll have in my head a fully formed picture of that person. But yeah. or a much um, person. Well, that's but, a good, good thing to bring out because one of the things people always make a mistake at the beginning is... Info dumping, all that exposition yeah. at the beginning of a story. No, 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 no. no. Just give us the, the characters. Make sure that they're there. Like you said, that idea. What's the story going to be about? Maybe put in a little bit of a promise of what's going to be ahead, and then the rest yes. get to it later. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And just to come back to uh, Kara's point as well about um, characters. You know, you've got to be able to care about a character, yeah. and um, I, I don't think it means that they have to be likable necessarily, but I think they have to be. Normally, it does, and I think it means they have to be kind of compelling enough. And it's. It's. I was just thinking while you were talking about. Um, there's a book I, I really love um, called "To Rise Again at a Decent Hour" by American writer Joshua Ferris, where the, the protagonist in that, if you can call him that, is, is an American rich uh, New York dentist um, who's quite an obnoxious character. There's, you know, I've got nothing in common with him. There is, uh, you know, he's certainly not somebody in real life that I'd want to hang out with or even would even meet unless he was actually doing my teeth. And to be honest, his character, I wouldn't want him doing my teeth. <laughs> and he doesn't necessarily become a much nicer person during the course of the, the, the novel, but he does become, a mu he just become increasingly compelling as a character as yeah. the writer kind of chips away at... Um, things around him and then how he reacts to those things around him and the things he discovers and there's actually quite a, a really interesting um, which I won't I won't spoil but it's a really interesting mystery that's kind of yeah. um, developed um, underneath yeah, I, these, a kind of series of incidents I that seem unrelated I definitely don't think characters have to be likeable they just yeah they have to be interesting yeah mm. well, I actually do yeah. prefer likeable characters having said that <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's definitely, it's definitely more commercial, you know, if you're looking at it from a, mm. a purely commercial um, prospect, then having a likeable character, you're, you're just, yeah, you're literally more likely to get it published. Yeah, and certainly harder to write the unlikable character. So it's something that if you're starting off, I wouldn't recommend doing that True. type of character True. to start off with. Mm. Yeah. 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 Okay, so the middle of the story, what do you guys need in the middle of your story? Well, so, you, or Matt, yeah. How about you? Matt, Matt, you go. So this is for again, you know, this is why I write short stories. I'm not that keen on middles. <laughs> right. Unless, no, that's or, fair enough. I am, if the middle is also the beginning and the end. 
which in a short yeah. story it can be, as we talked about in the, in the last draft episode we recorded, uh. um, episode five, which is not now. Um, it's uh, yeah, for me, I really struggle with the middle, um, and um, I struggle with reading middles of novels as well. Quite often, they'll just like degenerate into this kind of swampy mess. Yeah. Um, and then the writer has to bring it back together, and I find that quite tedious. Um, and myself reading quite often uh, when it's not done well, and um, yeah, I'm just not sure. I mean, for me, it's like um, you know where I am trying to work on on longer work. It's about that kind of approaching it in a three act kind of structure, and yeah. kind of seeing what are the elements within that that middle act, the second act. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, I'm sure you two can talk, talk more about that. But yeah, for me, it's uh-huh. like I, I struggle with middles. Yeah. So I think um, when you're struggling with middles, uh, particularly with longer writing, this is where subplots are helpful to introduce them. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, gro- also growth of the main character. Uh, they need to be showing signs of change here. Um, I like um, introducing complications, which are unexpected but yet they also need to be um, logical. So in mystery or crime, perhaps a trusted source uh, is proven to be false, or maybe even the main character's motivation is called into question. A good person is suddenly seen as a, in a less than flattering light, or an enemy appears to be in the right. So if we look at um, the example of Harry Potter, it's often Snape's development that keeps people guessing in the middle of the story and for me yeah. that makes it um, interesting and you don't, you don't get bogged down. Yeah, um, I'm also a big fan of the subplots and like I said I like taking my time to get to know the characters, why they are like this and I always like to have an internal thing that's going wrong with them and things like that and I always yeah. like to have an external thing that's going wrong with them. and. Um, also, like with the external things, like their whatever their goal at the end, I need to have at least two or three things that go wrong that they then have to solve and overcome. Sometimes it could be a red herring or something like that. And then to kind of make sure that it's not feeling like we're going backwards, I like to throw in things like a kiss. So one of my subplots should be moving forward, while one of my the main plot is moving backwards. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. And because I think in um, uh, romance structure, generally um, the midpoint is actually where they fall in love or they recognise that they're in love yep. with that person. Is that about well, the right? The exploration, yeah. So they've got to, yeah. uh, constructors they're like open with to the, the possibility, right? Yep, yep that's it. Yeah. And so you've got to explore that and can have some fun with that. So um, I always rush my ends. <laughs> Because I'm an underwriter and I love, and I'm a bit of a, so I'm between the, the, the panther and the thing, so I love my endings and I rush through them and I usually have to come back and I was like, oh, I've done the story, now I've got to write more of the ending. So what do you guys always have to have at the end of your story? I, um, I, I, I think, and this is probably influenced by me growing up reading comic books, watching a lot of um, television serials, I like to have stuff not resolved. And um, oh. I would like to have plot threads yep. dangling that you may or may not uh-huh. resolve. Yep. Um, yeah, well, that's for short stories as well. Short Sorry. stories often don't have yeah. resolved oh, things. More of an, where, an open-ended. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and even when I'm reading novels, um, and even with the, the certainly with the novel I'm trying trying to write, I tell people I'm writing. Um, my intention is that there will there certainly won't be a spoilers again. <laughs> there won't be a, uh, a a resolution to it, really. Yeah. Some some things oh. will be resolved, but most of it won't yeah. be. Um, can't be um, in, in one. Yeah. In one that might book. explain why people like series, because series always have to have something unresolved. Most of the oh, story is yeah. finished, but there's still something left over. Now, Kira, what do you like in the end of your stories? Um, well, personally, I do like most things to be um, resolved, um, and I'm actually a fan of the unhappy ending. Uh, I like, and that's one of the reasons why I think um, Wuthering Heights is one of my favourite yeah. books. Yeah, it's because it doesn't work out <laughs> in the way that you want. And I, I thought that, because that's, for me that's emotionally more powerful. Yeah. But if I'm thinking about in terms of like just general writing advice, then I think that the writer needs to think about the, the reader that they're writing for and the reader expectations. So, for example, if you're writing yeah. a romance, then you need to have that happily ever after. Or if you've yep. written a crime... And, and your crime is a murder, then the killer has to be identified. Doesn't mean yep. they have to be caught and go to prison, but the um, detective or whoever is investigating that crime needs to know who killed that person. You can't, you can't leave that undone. Um, and something that I think is quite important when it comes to the ending of a story is maintaining the tone of your story. So if your story is funny, three-quarters of the story is funny and then all of a sudden you switch to a, a tragic ending, Blake 7 ending, everybody dies, um, people are not going to take that well. No. And again, that's, that, again, that's you know, that's um, reader expectations. Um, but uh, a very simple thing to know is from a purely structural point of view, if you're trying to um, come up with a story, it, it's helpful to know that the ending um, is always the opposite of the beginning. So if we look at your main character in opposition, they will always end in opposition uh, emotionally to how they started. Yeah. So, for example, if you've got a detective who starts off, they're baffled by a crime, at the end they'll be enlightened. It's the opposite. Um, uh, a person in a loveless relationship um, should have found love by the end. An arrogant person should find humility, etc., so again, if we're looking back at your um, Star Wars example that you're talking about, Matt, before, um, actually Star Wars and Harry Potter, they both start off with their, our character Harry and Luke. They're powerless and they're naive, and at the end of the story, they become powerful and knowledgeable. So just in terms of structural, your ending has always got to be the opposite of your beginning. Yeah. Um, I always like to have a chance that my people are going to lose. I hate it when... Uh -huh. like. One of the ways to avoid a Mary Sue or type that type of thing in your stories is have them almost lose. And yeah. um, it doesn't matter how it is, maybe it's almost a lose love or they almost lose the bad guy or whatever, but uh, you can't make it too easy on your heroes. Um, uh -huh. If it is too easy, go back and make it harder for them. And because I'm a romantic, there has to be a happily ever after um, or at oh. least a happy for now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing because you're writing romance, right? Yeah. Sorry, Matt. Well, I was just going to say, I, yeah, definitely for me, if the story's going to have an ending, 
um, in any kind of book, if I'm going to have enjoyed it, it's going to have to be some kind of happy ending. Um, I'm quite happy for, you know, I agree with what Nick's is saying around the, you've got to have genuine sense of peril, and I think yep. sometimes, um, you know, it's not just about nearly losing, I think you can lose stuff. I think people can lose yeah. stuff, characters can be killed that you care about, um, love can be lost, genuinely be lost, and then something else yep. can be found, um, or, you know, another type of love can be found, or, or something like that, but for me, I think definitely, although there can be genuine loss, and should be some kind of genuine loss there, um, definitely yep. want some kind of happy ending for, for someone that I care about, otherwise I'm going to be disappointed. Um, yeah. At the end, so I think that's where that's definitely starts pointing down to subjectivity. Um, to some yeah. Extent. So to get a, a longer length story, you're going to have to have subplots. Like you can get away with having no subplots if you're writing a short story, but if you want to get something that's a decent length, it's going to have to have subplots. And I'm an underwriter; I always have to go back and thread more stuff in, and I'll often go. Th throw in another subplot and things like that so what are some of your guys favorite subplots that you like to explore like we um, talked about romance already yeah romance is definitely my go-to uh subplot um and particularly because i like writing mysteries so the main thread tends to be um unromantic you know if, you, if you're investigating a crime you probably shouldn't be standing there checking out your partner or whatever <laughs> um, so the subplot is a great place to introduce that um, that romantic thread and yeah. again it's also a useful place to um, develop side characters um, but only if this is my opinion <laughs> only if the side character's story is tied to the main plot and it totally will affect agree. the ending in some way and yep. some way that adds depth to the reader experience. The you know the the subplot can't be completely unrelated. It can't just be like just telling two stories side by side for the you know just to pad out the book. Um, yeah. And oh, God, um, I like in particular <laughs> if the subplot raises the emotional engagement in the reader. So, for example, a subplot that gradually reveals the betrayal of the main character. I love that. I love betrayals. Um, and that's going to help keep your readers curious about the um, outcome of events as well. Um, like I said, if I don't have a romantic main plot, I'll put that in as a subplot. But I'm almost yeah. always got to... Uh, so I, I have two go-tos. I either have like a mystery... Or yeah. like your end of the world type thing, like you've got to go and stop the main villain that's going to start a civil war that's going to destroy the world or something like that. So I like a, a very perilous um, other plot. And often those will have equal bearing in, in a story. But one of the things that I really hate is when people, if they're going to do a romantic subplot, don't cut corners. Like either leave it out completely or actually pay attention to it. Like I was watching uh, The Mummy, you know, the, the new one with the uh, with Tom Cruise, and it was going to be this big blockbuster and push off the new dark universe and all of that. And I was watching it, and I was thinking, I am quite upset by it because they go from Tom Cruise being hating this girl to all of a sudden risking his life for her with nothing yeah, in between. Such a problem in yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so like there's this guy on uh, YouTube called CinemaSins, and he calls this the power of the boner. So you need to avoid the power <laughs> of the boner 
because yeah. that is not a good subplot. You need to put some effort into it. And like you were saying with your people going off and doing different things, um, that needs to lead to the main plot. Yeah. Like yeah. if you're going to pay attention to it, if you're going to put effort into it, make it worth something. So yeah, so um, yeah. So those are my yeah, ones. One of, one of my favourite ones in crime, and one that I'm using at the moment actually is is, you know, you've got two two police officers investigating something, and um, they're partners, they trust each other, and you know, there's genuine reasons for why they can, but actually one of them's got a secret as well, and it's related oh, to you'd like they're covering good stuff. something up that's related to the main kind of driving cause of the that they're, they're trying to investigate. Actually, what about uh, it? So, for instance, the the kind of crudest example is where you've got the the member of the drug squad um, who's actually addicted to to yeah. drugs. Um, oh. Now we get to the saggy middles. Like we were talking a little bit about it before, but one of the things that structure can help is to make sure that uh, you keep the pace. And yeah. um, if you're got too much structure or not enough structure, you sometimes can get what's called the saggy middle. So what's some advice that you would give for people that do have like a very messy middle? Blow something up. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. The blow something up is not a bad thing. And it doesn't have to yeah. actually be a physical explosion, a literal explosion, although it can be. It could be, you know, um, have have the partner of the main protagonist discover an affair they've been having or discover yeah. at least some yeah. text they've been exchanging yeah. with people, you know, blow up yeah. the relationship. Um, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, or as you were saying before about the idea of the um, two detectives and you have one of them discover that if they're both working on vice and the other one discovers that his partner is addicted to the drug that they're investigating, yeah, some, you know, get their world turned upside down kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, you have that new exactly. information. Yeah, I always go back to the the kill your darlings thing. Most people think that's a word or something like that, but it could also be like a whole scene. So I always make sure that my scenes are doing two or three things at least. So yeah. moves the plot forward, and it needs to do something like build up the character or show a, a floor or something like that. And if my scene is only doing one thing, I go and look at it and go, okay where can I cut the stuff out and stick it somewhere else? Because yeah. it can't be there if it's only doing one thing. Yeah, I definitely think every scene needs to raise questions in the mind of the reader. And I think yeah. a lot of the pacing issues and saggy middles are because the author hasn't considered how the story can and should affect the reader. Because readers want to be engaged, so they need yeah. to be kept curious. So yeah, introduce new questions. Um, and yeah, I think that's what I really dislike about the hero's journey is because it's just that um, tick sheet. You just think, right, okay, yeah. I've introduced the mentor. It's time to introduce the the trickster. It's just if you know that structure, then you you know the pacing and um, there's the predictability of it that um, that makes everything sag. And it's just yeah, you know what's coming. It's boring. Yeah, and there's no questions. No questions. It's not just for the hero's journey. Like, for instance, I had a friend that could tell you which page the love scene it was on every Mills and Boone's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, you have to be careful of the predictability because it can make people go, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. When does the structure become a formula? Yes. Mills and, and Boone being the perfect example. Yes. 
and then it makes me wonder about some of the authors that have produced a lot of work over time and they do end up falling into a formula. Um, mm. Which brings us a bit to our homework. Is uh, The homework is, is to kind of think of what beat sheet would be appropriate for you and your style of writing and things like that. And Matt, you're going to put something in the, the notes about some articles uh, about how to change up the, the hero's journey and things like that to make it a little bit more... Um, for the modern age.